Welcome to the Capital Mosaic Podcast. You're listening to the Story Series. This week, Justin Blass takes us into Act 4 of the story. Enjoy. Welcome to a special edition of the Capital Mosaic Podcast. Justin here, uh, coming to you from the Jefferson Street studio as we had a recording fail on Sunday. So you are getting a special revamped version of uh, what happened on Sunday night, uh, and I hope you enjoy. Now in Mosaic, we are in the middle of a conversation uh, looking at the Bible as a story. And, and people probably have asked us, why are we doing this? And my answer is simple. Life does not come with a script. You're not given a line-by-line version of how you're supposed to live. And I think often we, we grow up with this idea that God has a plan for our lives, and people translate that to be this like blueprint existence, this kind of step-by-step dance instructions for how you should live day to day. But I think all of us know that it's a little more messy than that. In fact, we believe that life requires us to improvise, to understand who God is, where God has been acting in history, where God's been taking the story, and to, for us to try to live consistently but contextually out of that. And we've taken this from N.T. Wright, who has a, um, an article, I think it was a lecture, in which he, he set out this idea that what we have uh, for the church today is it's as if we were given um, five acts, uh, an incomplete play, four acts of a Shakespearean play in which uh, they're all written out and we have all the details of the play, but the fifth act is missing, and we are the actors that have been called upon to improvise and act out what that, that, that part of the play would look like. And so the best way to do this, as we started off and Chris pointed to, was to learn and get into the story so that we may be consistent and we may improvise. And so that's why we're doing this. We're doing this to understand how to live. And in terms of story, what I find Interesting, looking at the the big story of the Bible, is you realize that the Bible is an epic. There's lots of turns and movements, but all stories, including epics, are uh, driven by characters. Characters with desire. They want something. Their desire propels them forward. And as we know, and as our children teach us, whenever we want something, we usually bump into some conflict as we try to get it. And so stories are made up of characters with desires who encounter conflict, and most stories uh, that you love and cherish usually have resolution. Now, some do not. It's not like a a rule, but usually characters desire uh, conflict and resolution. And so tonight, we're looking at how does God bring resolution to the great story of Scripture? And I know for those who have gone to Sunday school, you'll know the answer is, of course, Jesus. Spoiler. But we're going to still get into it. Now, before we do, I I just want to caveat this. I know it doesn't probably need said. I'll try to say it quickly. Um, I am not a biblical scholar. I am not professionally trained. I have dabbled in the art of amateur um, theology. And what you're going to get tonight is a a bird's eye view. And when I first started coming to Mosaic, uh, I know we're we're a big food community. And we, we love to share meals and preparing food and, and, and engaging with conversation over a meal is central. We find it to be a sacred and spiritual place, the table. 
Uh, and I remember the, one of the first times I wanted to contribute something to, to a, a common meal, I made chicken drumsticks. Don't ask me why. I started there. I wanted to start small. I'm not very culinarily skilled. Um, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going with it. And, and so I, I made drumsticks to the recipe, followed the timing, and I brought them to the night, and they just weren't cooked. And I just remember this sort of like, ugh, shame of it. And we had to, someone else had to take it and put it in the oven and cook it for a little bit longer. And we just started this process of working to get the chicken done. And so what I'm offering tonight might be a little bit like those uncooked drumsticks, and you need to apply a bit more heat. All right, that's my caveat. One of my warnings is just check the drumsticks before you eat it, people. You might need to put a little bit more heat on them things. All right, so how does God get resolution? Well, in order to get there, uh, we're going to start back at the beginning, and I'm going to do a bit of a recap of, of the major movements in the biblical story that we've covered to try to set up the scene about how God resolves the conflict in the biblical story. But we start with the character and a character with desire. And that's where we're going to go to in the book of Genesis. Starting with Act 1. And in the, in the Genesis account of the story, we know that um, we start with God creating. God says, let there be light. And we know that at the beginning of the creation account, we have this movement. We have a movement of, of God uh, Taking what's formless, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the surface of the deep. This is, this is the early words of, of the text. And what, what, is, what it takes us through is that God starts with the formless, moves into creating form, and then blesses that form to reach fulfillment. There's a direction that we see in Genesis, a movement, a push, a thrust towards potential. And so what I would summarize as an overarching desire for God's in Genesis, it's not the only, but it's one that I, that I feel like comes through, is God desires creation to reach its potential. And so we get God creating space and land and sea and then uh, blessing that land and sea to be fruitful and multiply with vegetation and food, giving it a kind of inbuilt potential to, to continue to grow. And the act of blessing, when God blesses, it's the act of bringing life, of, of empowering life to move and go through. And so we get this very lively scene in the Genesis account of God who creating from formless to form and blessing it to go to fulfillment. And, and, and this is coming out of peace and love and shalom. This isn't some sort of whole, of like greed I got to create to kind of satisfy some, some deep hunger for more power. It's more the fact that God has this wholeness and out of that wholeness and uh, more life erupts. Uh, it's the beauty of, of creation that out of love, um, more life breaks forth. And so that's the scene we have at the beginning. God desiring for creation to go somewhere. It's not this static, like the Garden of Eden was the point, the point and it was just going to stay in this nice little garden. God just wanted to have a garden and a cup of tea. I think the, the, the beginning of Scripture opens with the God who desires creation to, to grow, to change, to be developed, to be, to be um, for the potential within it to be realized. 
and this is a beautiful opening. But then the next thing is even more fascinating, perhaps even more mind-blowing, is how God wants creation to move towards its potential. And in the text, God creates human humanity, humans, and gives humans the specific role to, to be those that kind of steward or guide or help shape the direction that creation takes. It is humanity that is given the role for, to, to be the, the caretakers, uh, the captains or, or, or the architects, the, the designers, the, the crafters of this journey uh, of moving the created world towards its potential, to continue to this, this art of blessing, of guiding that blessing so that life is thriving. And this is given to humanity. And, and it's often summarized by theologians in two ways, that humans were put in the Genesis account. God desired us to be priests, that God makes uh, God's rule known through, the ru- through how humans behave, through how they rule on earth. Uh, it's, it's as if God wants to collaborate or co-labor, co-create with humanity. And humanity is given this central role in the creation account. It's almost mind-blowing the, 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 the power God gives humanity to influence and rule over creation. But God's desire is that humanity would be priest, that they would look towards God, they would be in relationship with God, and so therefore create in a way that's true to God's life-giving love, that, that they would essentially let the love and, of, and power of God flow through them and guide the stewarding of creation. And in order to do that, they, they need to attend to their priestly makeup, that we are image bearers, that we uh, are designed to sort of receive, to be influenced, that, that we're designed to worship, to, to look towards things and to let them influence us in, in that posture. And so the first key role given to humanity, I think, in Genesis is to be priests, and the second is to be the caretakers, the stewards. And so those two things go hand in hand, and they are what God wants in order to take the creation project somewhere. And I think this is an amazing thing because right at the beginning, we find a God who has incredible faith in people. A God who believes in you. And that is an amazing starting point. And then we know the story moves. This is where we hit the conflict. And uh, it's not too far into the story that we hit the conflict. And the conflict comes with essentially uh, the story of Adam and Eve, and we know uh, the story of fruit uh, being taken from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, and this whole kind of reaction. I know we don't actually know. I actually drew this big picture on Sunday to try to, to map the sort of movement of the scripture uh, at a high level, bird's eye view, and I drew, I drew an apple, but you know, we, we don't really know what kind of fruit it was, but uh, I definitely think it was grapefruit, personally, not a big fan, and if I feel like if any fruit caused us to be in this crazy situation we're in, I'm, I'm blaming grapefruit. Um, but the conflict of, of Scripture in that account with Adam and Eve is this lack of trust, a lack of faithfulness to God to say that God actually uh, is giving the best and through that relationship, but instead we, we, we as humanity chose to go at it our own way. To instead, instead of worshiping God as priest, uh, the priestly kind of call, the human vocation, we chose to um, desire power and, and essentially to worship the created, to worship ourselves. And, and 
the scripture kind of accounts, and Peter took us through an amazing thing. This is in Acts uh, 2, um, where it just kind of the spread. Something devastating happens in the, in the narrative. Um, this kind of unleashing of a force that starts to oppress and push against life. If the movement of Genesis was from formlessness to form to fulfillment, a new force is unleashed in what's traditionally called the fall. In this moment of unfaithfulness, when humans are unfaithful to their human vocation, a force is unleashed that essentially uh, takes us towards death and decay, which is the opposite of that force of fulfillment. You know, the, this, the, the law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, uh, which essentially is moving things towards decay, taking them from a higher ordered state to a lesser ordered state. That is the movement of what we call sin, that pushback, that resistance it's as if uh, we were traveling along and got caught in the gravity of a dying star, taking us with it, pulling us down, and, and, and kind of catching us all up with this force that seems to rip not just at us, but at creation, that rips at uh, the, material, the material world as well as uh, what we would often call our spiritual existence, as if we could separate the two. And this conflict it sort of spreads quickly and moves, not just from, from two people, but all, all the way through. And, and it's just sort of tracing the consequence of when humans are unfaithful to, the, to this, this calling, to the human vocation, it, it breeds brokenness. And so we got the, the, that force that was moving the creation story towards its potential, and now we have the conflicting force, which is taking it down in a way, pulling, uh, opposing that life-giving force, and instead of blessing, you get cursing. You get the movement towards death and decay. And it's interesting for me, as a human living so far away, and sometimes I go back uh, so, so long after these accounts, and, and you go back and you get all caught up in some of the, the stories of, of the first account in the, what we call the Old Testament. But something about this rings true for me, even today. That resistance that you feel when, when there's things to do, that good work, there's, there's life-giving or life blessing, an action that would uh, you'll give of yourself, and you can feel this pushback. It really is like a gravity, like there's a resistance in us to do that good work. And so something of, of the story of that text still grabs me today, of this conflict that we face inside, of, of just this kind of desire to, to uh, give in to decay. To let that shape us. So what does God do about it? This is the conflict of the text. How does God go about resolving it? How is God going to set this story right? So the movement goes back towards this desire for God's journey, for shalom, that wholeness, that well-being, that life, that thriving, abundant life for all of creation. How does he move that, the story in that direction? And... God's desire to move the story in that direction started with, with the hope and faith and people. And probably to our dismay when we read the text, God doesn't give up on that desire. God continues to be committed to work with people. It's probably one of the most surprising and maybe frustrating parts when we read the Old Testament account that God keeps working with us. And there's, there's a beauty to this that God commits to, to people. In fact, God commits to people to and reminds them of the original human vocation. What happens with Abraham is 
uh, God essentially calls this people. So we're, we're now stepping into the story of Israel. This is Act 3, the early stage of Act 3, when God is claiming a people. Um, and, and what God's trying to do is, is to set the, the, the movement of creation back towards the direction that God desires through the calling of Israel. And it starts with Abraham, and in Genesis 12, we get that blessing, this amazing moment of God choosing a, a special people so that the whole world could be blessed. And the language of Genesis 12 is that God um, will bless Abraham and his family so that, that through him, all the nations, all the families of the earth may be blessed. That force, the force of blessing, that life-giving generative force will flow through this community. And it gets, it gets even better uh, as God articulates again this kind of reaffirming of the human vocation when, when the people of Israel are rescued out of Egypt and God takes them to the wilderness and is claiming them and sending them this kind of covenant directional charter to say how they will to be live how they should live. God says, and you will be for me in Exodus 19, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Out of all the earth you'll be my treasured possession and if you remain faithful to me, you will be like a kingdom of of priests. And I and it touches to me this desire for God for that humans live faithful to that priestly relationship of worshiping God. And out of that worship, when we're priests, the world would see the rule of God and that blessing would flow, that blessing force that, that, that would push back against sin, that the good desire of God for the movement of the creation project would get back on track. Because God desires the creation story to get from form to formless to fulfillment and God desires to do that through and with people. And, and the movement though of the story takes its turns. We've seen the force of sin spread from Adam and Eve through the Tower of Babel where we see that destruction spread and decay and more separations happening and isolation through um, the, the results of the Tower of Babel. Uh, and then as Israel's called, and there's the hope of faithfulness, but by and large, as we move through Act 3, Israel struggles to remain faithful. And God continues to bless, and in fact, we, Chris took us through as God gives the people a land, and, and the purpose of that gift was so that they may demonstrate proper care of land, that they may be this kingdom of priests showing how to tend to creation. And Chris did a beautiful job uh, articulating that. And then, but, but they struggle with the, the relationship with the land and how to relate to the other nations. And they end up not looking so much like God's kingdom, but just any other earthly kingdom. And so instead of getting a glimpse of the divine, which is the role of the priest to represent God to the world and the world to God, we just get another picture of the world. And it has moments of hope moments of beauty, there's moments of Solomon's reign and David's reign uh, that have these moments where you sense that Israel is showing the world something of God, but they're never able to sustain it. And so by and large, the force of sin, that oppressive force, seems to be the dominant force. And eventually, the people of Israel lose their land and uh, go into exile. And then there's this time... Uh, of response to that, where the people of Israel have this expectation that God isn't giving up on the creative creation project. And the prophets can see, you know, one day that shalom of God, that potential 
that everyone sees, the, the prophets can see at least, in, in the desire of, of God's plan would spread over the earth, that the earth will be renewed. They start to have this expectation that that Genesis God, that God who blesses, that can create with a single word, uh, will act decisively to set things right. And their expectation for that is often fueled by this expectation of earthly kingdoms, and they have this expectation for a Messiah, that kind of Psalm 2 uh, referencing of, of uh, you know, this, this ruler coming and uh, with, with a rod of iron to, to make things right, this sort of decisive action. So the time of Jesus enters into the scene. We, we have God desiring creation to move. We have the force of sin opposing it. God working, desiring to work through people and choosing Israel to be the people that God works through. And then comes Jesus, born inside of, uh, inside the story of Israel, long in its tradition, um, and, and takes the first, his first decisive act uh, as, as an adult to be baptized into the sort of John the Baptist calling for Israel to turn its ways to repent, uh, to make way for the kingdom. And Jesus affirming of his Hebrew uh, roots, of, of his very much uh, being a person of Israel, engages in stepping in to, to those waters. And we get this moment where God affirms of Jesus, you know, the clouds part when Jesus is baptized. And um, God says, this is my son for whom I am well pleased. And the power of the Spirit fills Jesus and Jesus goes off into the desert. And we get a glimpse when Jesus is in the desert that Jesus is about to engage in the work of, of Israel, of doing the task of, of carry on this mission that was given to Israel, that Jesus is about to pick it up and take it on. And that mission given to, to Israel to be a kingdom of priests is no different than the mission given to Adam. And in fact, as we look at it, it's, it's sort of Jesus is connecting to that kind of primal human vocation to be a priest and steward. And Jesus fosters that priestly vocation by communing with God in the desert, by praying. And while Jesus is communing, he experiences temptations. The temptations that uh, some have said are the same ways Israel has fallen, the same things that tripped Israel up, using its position, uh, its special position, for its own gain or ruling in the way that the nations rule, tripping up over the things that, that, have, that have caused Israel to stumble. But Jesus, early in the desert, shows that Jesus is committed to remain faithful to the human vocation, to be priest and steward. And I, I can't spend a whole lot of time here because I don't have heaps of time to do it. Um, but what I would like to suggest is Jesus is faithful throughout his life to the human vocation. He is like the second Adam, but where Adam failed, Jesus is strong. Jesus fulfills the call of humanity. And so Jesus engages in the priestly role. And I'll just talk a, a bit about how Jesus does that. Jesus is often seen fostering an intimate relationship with God that harkens back to Adam and Eve. There's times where Jesus is often seen praying in the evening. And, it, and it, to me, it kind of was reminiscent of Adam and Eve walking in the garden and talking with God at night. And as Jesus refers to God using that intimate language of Abba, Father, there's a closeness, there is a intimacy, 
of a priest uh, who knows God, who spends time with God, who's tending to that relationship with God. And then there's the role of the steward, the caretaker. And to me, it harkens to a gardener who's come to find a patch of land that's completed, completely weeded over in parts. And Jesus goes to step in to bring healing, to bring blessing to the garden by engaging with the weeds. And for me, I just think it's interesting when you wrestle with uh, how Jesus... It's almost like an action film to me. Jesus comes onto the scene and pretty much wherever sin has got its fingers, wherever the poison of sin, the corruption of sin has got to, Jesus confronts inside of Israel. Uh, and where sin has, confr- has corrupted the, the physical space, Jesus steps in and brings healing. We see him physically healing people who, who can't walk, who are paralyzed, who are lepers, who are blind, who suffer from from dysfunctions of their body because of this force, this force that play that brings corruption to us. Uh, it's not so much saying that they physically, they, they sinned in their lifetime and therefore they were punished. It's more saying that due to the brokenness of creation uh, because of a, the result of sin, they experience this and Jesus is pushing back on it. Jesus steps in and starts healing and is known as a great healer. People are bringing them, you know, lowering people through the roof because Jesus his power is, is known. Uh, and it's not, just, it's not just the physical, but the kind of emotional, mental, spiritual space. Jesus is casting out demons. I mean, I struggle with this today, that, that notion uh, of these people who seem to be oppressed by these forces inside, um, causing all sorts of havoc in them. And Jesus claims it back, kind of confronting again this oppressive force and calling it, and, and removing it, working healing. And Jesus challenges the, the sickness in religion and the systems that have oppressed people that are actually not of God. They're not blessing humanity, but cursing it and burdening it. Jesus calls them out. We see all these interactions with the Pharisees and the teachings that Jesus brings, the healing power of parables to actually remind people what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, we got so fixed on a kingdom that looked like a kingdom of this world uh, that looked pretty much like any other kingdom on the menu. And Jesus paints a, a different picture of what God has in mind for his chosen people, what it means to be a kingdom of priests, what God is going for for humanity. Jesus, through these, these um, provocative, subversive stories, challenges the religious systems in love to bring healing and restoration to not just cast uh, judgment on people, but, but so that they may be lived. And Jesus confronts the religious system even more by cleansing the temple and challenging the fact uh, that you know, they've turned this into a market. They've, they've collaborated with the force of sin uh, to take advantage of people. And Jesus ultimately confronts the, the political power the, the political power that uh, uses the, the weapons of death and decay to control people. That takes them and says, if you revolt, if you don't like what we want you to do, then we'll kill you. And this is the ultimate manifestation of violence. Uh, of sin, I mean, is violence. The ultimate manifestation of sin 
is violence because it's using that force of death and decay. And by using death and decay, it then um, controls people. And when you go about confronting the powers with blessing, with love, uh, you're going to run into this weapon, and Jesus does. And so Jesus is crucified. And it's as if sin is putting everything it can to knock Jesus off of, of this faithful role, of being faithful to the human vocation, that priestly and stewardly, stewardly calling. The sin is putting everything it can, but Jesus remains faithful, even on the cross. In fact, that amazing scene of Jesus on the cross, which is just so hard to take in, this torture symbol, this sign of failure, this sign of violent oppression, of don't bother trying to uh, push back on our rule because this is what happens to you. Turning someone into a scarecrow, uh, it, it's, it's just disgusting. And Jesus is up on that cross being violently murdered. Um, and Jesus is, is giving forgiveness and love. It is a beautiful, beautiful moment that Jesus remains faithful even on death, even while dying on the cross. And in this moment, as Jesus dies, sin is exhausted. The power of sin is essentially spent. It is given everything it can to try to knock Jesus and keep him from being faithful, but Jesus has remained faithful. And we know this uh, faithfulness conquered death because Jesus then is resurrected. That life breaks in even out of death. That this is the overcoming of death. That the physical realm of the physical body of Jesus is brought back, re reanimated in a way, but almost in a new way. It's not just the, the old physical. It's, it's this physical that's no longer being corrupted by that force. It seems to, to be, be something more. And we get this great affirmation in the resurrection um, of what, what has happened over the course of Jesus' life uh, is, is the affirmation that Jesus lived the, the truly human vocation. And through living it, the force that was unleashed by humanity when it was unfaithful has uh, now been expelled, been, been spent out by the force unleashed by humanity uh, in Jesus as he was faithful. And that force of blessing, that Genesis fourth force of blessing was seen in Jesus' life through all of the miracles, through the teachings, through the love, through the forgiveness. That force was being visibly noticed. And then on the cross, uh, it breaks through death and resurrects Jesus, giving us a sign and foretaste of what's to come. Ultimately, we have a picture of Jesus as a window. And this is, this is the role of the priest. And Jesus as a window shows us in his resurrected state, what God looks like. When we look to Jesus, we see God. We see God on earth. We see what it would look like if God was in charge. And that is amazing. It is beautiful and inspiring. And not only that, we get a window into where the potential of creation, where that whole story is moving, that God actually is taking creation towards its potential and working with people. That God somehow managed to affirm of the place of humanity and save it at the same time by stepping into human flesh 
and living a life faithful to the human calling, to the power and responsibility that was given to us, and by doing so has exhausted the force of sin, death, and decay and sent the story in another direction. And that is a beautiful and powerful story. And so you may be wondering, that's nice, Justin, but so what? And, I, and I, I just want to offer you this. One of the things that I've struggled with in my life uh, is often the fear that I won't realize my potential, which is also matched by a fear that I have no potential at all. But at the same time, there's this, there's this longing in us, I believe, to live out of our... There's something in us that longs to, to grow, to express, to create... Um, and with that, there's, there comes this fear that why bother? The force is, is death and decay. It, it's hard to create when we, when we feel the resistance, the pushback, the oppression of sin, uh, as we would call it in light of the story. But I feel like as, you, as this story gets into my skin, it, it gives us this, this foundation to believe that God is working things out to help bring us to potential that our potential in God will be realized. And God, God's desire is that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and we don't have to do so with the burden of worrying that if we can't nail it, that everything's going to go to custard. We, we have the grace, the amazing mercy of God, and that God has acted for us in Jesus and set things right in Jesus that we now may be invited to participate in that life freely without that pressure, that weight. And so as we look at the story of how God desires creation to move from form to f from formlessness to form to fulfillment, and how sin has tried, the force of unfaithfulness has tried to pull it back down to formlessness, that, that path of decay, of entropy that, that is marked by death, that Jesus resolved this conflict um, and God resolved this conflict by taking on flesh and blood, living a life of faithfulness, living a life of blessing, of love that pushed back on that force and exhausted it through the death on the cross and has shown us a new way, uh, the way that is coming, the, the, the age that is breaking in through the resurrection. And so may you have hope. May you, may you have hope as you live this week that God is putting things right. May you have the hope to know that you can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. May you, may you know that God has faith in you and will work with you to bring not only you, but this whole universe to its potential. And may you believe and trust that what you do matters. That you can step into these places that seem to be oppressed by sin and by decay, that seem hopeless, and that you can give an offer to be a priest and steward in that space, to follow Jesus in that space and know that you're doing the work that lasts. That is the force of love, it is the force of life that wins, not death. So go uh, get into the text put some more heat on the drumsticks, and uh, enjoy um, the story of Jesus. Thank you.